everybody. Welcome back to Community Possibilities. On today's episode, I have with me Jen King. Jen is the executive director of Georgia CASA, Georgia Court Appointed Special Advocates Incorporated, a nonprofit organization dedicated to improving the lives of children in foster care. I am so happy to have Jen on our podcast today. As some of you know, kids in foster care are near and dear to my heart. So let's jump into our conversation. All right, everybody, welcome back to this episode of Community Possibilities. And I'm so happy to have Jen King from Georgia Casa with us today. So hi, Jen, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Anne. it's great to be here. I am so excited to have you because you know that um, kids in foster care are near and dear to my heart. So we met several years ago, I want to say maybe six-ish. I don't even know. I can't, I don't keep count, but it was on a project that I was evaluating and you were part of that. CASA was part of that Families First and Georgia Appleseed. And as a matter of fact, Michael Waller, the executive director over there at Georgia Appleseed was one of my first podcast guests. We talked about that project. Uh, but since then your life has changed. But before we jump into that, why don't you just tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, and it doesn't have to necessarily be your resume. Just tell us a little bit about Jen King. Sure. All right. Well, I will start off by saying I hope that somebody in Georgia adopts me, that I have been in Georgia uh, for 25 years, but the first, as soon as I start talking, people know that I'm not from here. Um, but uh, Georgia is very near and dear to my heart. This is where I um, started my career, where I met my husband, where my boys have gone to school all their lives. And so um, I've made my way here to, to Georgia from North Carolina. I was um, in school for early childhood ed education. I, everyone who knew me and, and myself included always thought I would work with, with children in a childcare setting. And it was um, one class in college. It was a social work class that completely changed it for me. And I said, I said there's, there's additional ways here that I could be working with children and families. And so that really led me to CASA and nonprofit work. And so that's where I've been ever since I stepped foot in Georgia. And so I'm now here. And like I said, I have two teenage boys, one who's graduating not from college, not from college, but high school. So we're we're in the that middle of that, um, those college uh, acceptance letters and uh, applications and all of that, but have many came to Atlanta in Georgia, not knowing anybody else. So I have, am so fortunate to have so many friends and colleagues mm -hmm. across the state who, um, like I said, I'm proud to call Georgia home and um, love to just uh, be on top of current events and politics and TV shows and podcasts and travel. So whatever anybody wants to talk to me about, I'm always curious and uh, always love learning. Awesome. I love that about you. So you have, have you been your entire career at CASA then? Like for since college? <laughs> so I, it was my first job out of college. 
Um, I came in and I started working for the state office. Uh, so we're a nonprofit. We provide support to affiliates all across the state. Uh, after about three years, I was like, I said, maybe I need to actually get some experience working directly administering a program. And so I took about a three-year hiatus from CASA and worked for United Way. Mm -hmm. And at that point, um, there was an initiative, America's Promise, Colin Powell, all the presidents were involved in it. And it was about connecting schools with businesses and supporters. And we, and so for three years, we did some great work here in Atlanta. And I got the opportunity to spend a little bit of time at United Way of Atlanta, which I think is um, was such an amazing experience and still have those connections to this day. So then I ended up um, getting pulled back into CASA, not pulled back in, I shouldn't say. <laughs> like a gravitational. Point. That's right, that's right. I was read, so there was, uh, Dwayne had, Dwayne Hathaway, who was the director, who um, I have taken over uh, his, his position, but he was, had joined the organization and a board member said, I want for you to meet Dwayne and hear his vision for the CASA program. And when we met and talked, um, it was, Right then and there, I knew I'd come back and have been back ever since. Right. Yeah, he definitely had that um, that way about him. He was kind of a gravitational pull for a lot of us. That's right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit more about CASA. So I, of course, um, I know you, I'm familiar with CASA, but I want everybody else to know. So I pulled some information off the website because I wanted to dig into it. So Georgia court appointed special advocates because people always when I talk about CASA, which is all the time, people go, oh, CASA. And then I if I say something like guardian ad litem, then they kind of get it because I think they know that term from other states, maybe. But anyway, it's, it's a nonprofit organization dedicated to improving the lives of children in foster care throughout the state by advocating for children who have experienced abuse or neglect and volunteers amplify each child's voice and help change a child's story. And my question for you is, how does Georgia CASA advocate for children in foster care? What is it that the organization does at that level? Right. Well, you know, our, so much of our advocacy is through our volunteers. So we have this statewide network is made up of amazing advocates. Uh, 2,700 of them are, are volunteer, community volunteers. And that's really what the CASA model is all about. It's bringing and connecting community members to provide individual advocacy for children who are experiencing foster care. So our, our, the, our those community volunteers are paired with a Pay, a, a paid staff person who is an advocacy coordinator or supervisor and really understands and knows the systems and the laws and the all the process that's going on. But the volunteers are who have those that those individual relationships with children. And that's really what um, CASA is all about. So when a child has to enter the foster care system, a juvenile court judge appoints a community volunteer, a CASA volunteer, who remains that that appointment and that relationship between the volunteer and the child remains in place through the life of a case. And a life of a case of a child in foster care can um, really go anywhere from six months to 24 months, um, some even longer. But our volunteers are that 
consistent adult presence in the lives of children. And um, it's really just, it's really so special that our, our volunteers are bringing that uh, information. So our volunteers have all of this information then to bring to the court. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, that consistency is so important for kids in care because they don't have a lot of consistency a lot of times, right? So they sometimes, um, there might be multiple placements, especially if there's, you know, maybe behavioral issues or emotional issues or for whatever reason, right? We know that from that that project that you and I worked on. So what is, how, how I guess I have two questions. So tell us a little bit more about what does that relationship look like? What does ACASA do? And how does Georgia Casa amplify the voice of children? Yeah, so the re it's uh, the relationship between the volunteer and the child is really um, is really individual individualized uh, once uh, the volunteer meets that child. Although the volunteers are uh, have duties that are given to them by law, so statute, right? That prescribes what they're what they're doing. So our volunteers are providing objective firsthand information specific to the child's best interest. So they're providing that to the court. So when the judge is making his or her findings that they're doing so with the child's best interests uh, with the with the information that the volunteer is bringing. So the volunteer is making recommendations is uh, through a written report, but is also in court and pro providing that information, answering any questions from any of the parties, accompanying the child. So if the child's in court, the volunteers there with them. If the judge wants to speak to the child in chambers, the volunteer can is also can go with them and be a part of that. So. The result of all of the work that work and advocacy that the volunteer is doing is that that being a part of that court hearing. But what our volunteers will tell you is it's their relationship and the time that they spend with the children outside of court. So on um, and whether it's weekly or monthly that that volunteer is connecting with the young with the child or youth in their in whatever home that they're in. So they're likely um, in a in some kind of temporary caregiver with, with some temporary caregiver. The and the volunteer will meet with them on a regular basis and uh, again provide information to the court about that. So our volunteers are uh, are really creative and um, consistent and persistent. <laughs> Describe, give me an example of creativity. You've got me curious. What is that? What do you mean by creative? They're creative. Yeah, well, so when you uh, when you come in, so I like to think about CASA as opening the doors on what we've known, that, what most people would think of as a closed system. So the court system um, might seem uh, scary, the unknown of what that looks like, that there's attorneys sitting at the table, that all of that um, we don't know so much about. We see what happens on TV, but juvenile court is not meant to be set up so adversarial. And so when you open the doors on that court system, uh, those volunteers get to get to uh, experience what that's like. And so, um, so that they are um, able to then uh, think about not all of the attorneys and the judges and the case managers and the other paid professionals, right, have specific 
uh, guidelines and policies and laws and everything that they're having to follow. But a volunteer can say, hey, if this were my child, this is what I would want to happen. Mm-hmm. So we like to think that, that we like to talk about that the volunteer brings that um, that common sense, that community mm-hmm. perspective um, to their role. And so mm-hmm. if there, something comes up for that child um, and, it, and maybe it hasn't happened before or it's really specific to that child, they're looking to be a part of a group or there's um, an opportunity that they want to be involved with or their family member is somewhere where they might not know that that volunteer can really do some digging and some work and make some calls and um, whatever it is because it's one volunteer to one child or one sibling group so they have Mm -hmm. the time they know the child they, they know that child's story and why this is so important. Mm-hmm. Very good. So I would imagine that um, you do a lot of training with the CASAs, correct? So what kind of training do they get? I mean, I would imagine somebody might have a heart for the work, but they're nervous. The thought about going into a court and speaking to a judge, maybe that makes them nervous. Maybe uh, dealing with some biological parents, maybe they're nervous about that. Maybe even nervous about working with foster parents. So how do you kind of work with them to give them the tools that they need to be that voice for those children? Yeah, and uh, so that's the great part about CASA is that uh, that that we provide the training that volunteers need to get started. So that training is thirty hours, thirty to forty hours, um, and I d- don't let that scare you off because I know that sounds like a lot. And I, but I promise you, at the end of training, the volunteers say, "I'm ready now. Like I'm ready to go." And so we'll still we'll our uh, the lo- the staff members will still be paired up with the volunteers as they're going out and doing all their first, their first home visits, like you talked about that first time in court, there's always a staff person who's there supporting them in that role. Mm -hmm. But the training is, uh, it's a national training. We have a national curriculum. Um, Fortunately, we had already had a virtual or hybrid version of that training that was in existence so that when um, we weren't able to gather in classrooms together, uh, we could over Zoom uh, continue to lead that training and I think what and in what you're talking about, some of that, like, are you sure I'm I'm the one who's going to stand up mm-hmm. in court and share this information, or I'm going to enter somebody's home who's, uh, you know, is in this in chaos or crisis? Uh, all the training really prepares all of our volunteers for that. It provides some background on the law, how the system operates, but really it talks about understanding and working with families and what that looks like and how to build that rapport and what, what else has gone on, what trauma and uh, other challenges and barriers that our families face, what that's like and how we can help bring to light our, the family strengths, uh, the immediate needs of the child, and then um, again, prepare them prepare volunteers to court. Mm -hmm. And what I think is the best part is that once volunteers are the ones who meet that child and are working with them, then they're ready. They're ready to go to court because they have that information and they want for the judge to know what's happening so that they can make, so the judge can make the most informed decision they Mm -hmm. can. Awesome. It sounds like it's a really great training that makes people feel really comfortable. So is part of that training, like you mentioned trauma, is part of that like trauma-informed care or helping to understand what some of those struggles are that kids in foster care are facing? And, and maybe can you tell us maybe a story that would help us kind of get that picture or what that looks like? Yeah, sure. So our so yeah, the training is gonna going to introduce a lot of different areas. And and you know, for many of our community volunteers that they've experienced 
uh, some of these in their own lives, right? So we've all had um, adverse Many of us have had adverse childhood experiences. We talk about ACEs, but in terms of how resilient uh, people are and how we can use our support systems and help work through that. So mm-hmm. the training really um, talks about a lot of all of that uh, brain science, as you know, that really speaks to um, when we're working with families and uh, people who have experienced trauma. And, you know, for so many of our families uh, that are uh, living in poverty and, and and neglect and what that looks like and how that plays out for our kids. So some of the, you're talking about when you asked about some of the challenges that our kids are facing. So, right. We like that, um, that it's really, we look at those unique circumstances for our kids, but for, for many of our kids in foster care, it's that being separated from maybe the only family that they've ever known, sometimes their siblings, any relatives, those support systems, schools, uh, faith-based groups, organi- any organized activities. So that's that separation. But then, like we talked about earlier, that caused that um, that instability and that uncertainty. So I, so I don't, how long am I going to be where I'm living now? When am I going to see my family next? Are my siblings okay? I was always the one who checked on them. Uh, I think they're all, our, our kids are also dealing with trauma. So the one, the trauma of whatever the circumstances were that led them to have to be separated from their the, their caregivers, but also of of being removed from a home that, like I said, that home that the only home that you've ever known. Mm-hmm. A lot of our kids have unmet physical and mental health needs, um, are working on that like tr- trust and attachment and what that looks like when you have temporary caregivers that might change. You talked about those placement mm-hmm. changes. And then a, a sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that all of us are. And for our kids, you know, that they may have lost one or more of their parents permanently. And so grief and loss. So there's a lot of mm-hmm. stuff. And in, in addition to just, you know, being a child and developing through those stages, I think about my kids right now and my teen boys like are struggling with so much. And then all of that on top of it. But there's that's a that's a heavy load mm-hmm. to carry. Yeah. Yeah. And we have so many kids in care. When I think back to that project that you and I worked on all those years ago, and I think we started and there were like, I want to say 35, 3,600 kids in care at the time. And it had ballooned by the time we were done with that project. Last time I looked, we had 11,000 plus. And of course that number fluctuates on any given day because we have kids coming and going out of care. Can you talk about why the rate of kids in care is so high in Georgia. And it's not just Georgia. I'm not picking on our state. A lot of um, states have this issue, but what, what's going on that we have so many kids in care? Yeah. So I, so right now, I mean, so what is the right size, right? I think every child welfare system is asking agency asks themselves that all of us who work in this system to say, we don't want any more, any more kids that need any more kids that need to be in foster care, right? We don't want them to have to be in care because we know that the state as a temporary caregiver is not ideal by any means. So uh, right now, I think today, I saw the number say so 10,000, we're about 10,000, mm-hmm. which um, we've been as high as 15,000, we've been as low as 8,000. So mm-hmm. um, maybe this is a, 
uh, right sides for us, but we know that there's still more that we can be doing for families and, and kids so that they don't have to have that separation that we can provide, be providing supports for families so that kids don't have to come and care. So I don't, it's, um, you know, when we have so when we are move up to having more and more kids in care you know that um that the 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 man that places on the system and the staff members and our services and we Mm -hmm. just aren't able to provide services that we're almost further victimizing kids but that you don't want to swing all the way to the to the opposite side where kids are being left in unsafe homes so right Always, I think we'll always be asking ourselves what the, what the right size is. Uh, Ten thousand right. right now still still feels and sounds like a lot, right? right? It does. And um, and so we're just we're working to make sure that we can have volunteers with all those kids. Right. Yeah. And and Georgia again, like not unlike other states, we've certainly had our share of um kids that were harmed, right? And 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 died. Uh, uh maybe they didn't weren't in foster care and they died and they should have been and, and then we've had kids that died in care so it the the issues are so so complex and the costs are just incredibly costly mm-hmm. so we have 159 counties i think you have 159 157 counties have casas correct uh, active and that volunteers are trained and appointed 156. The three remaining counties were working with those communities to start a CASA program. And so um, after 30 plus years of this work that we will truly um, be statewide. So we're really excited. So in the next year or so, um, we'll be in every county and we're so we're, close. I do. I do. And invited by the juvenile court judge. So, I mean, that's pretty amazing that mm-hmm. there was no man date no one said to any of these judges that you have to invite community volunteers into your courtroom Mm -hmm. that we've been invited into every one of these courtrooms and Mm -hmm. every time a volunteer is appointed that judge is the one who asks for the volunteer and signs that court order saying yes i i need and want this community perspective on this case Mm -hmm. so ten thousand kids in foster care now 2700 casa volunteers what would you like to see happen to help with those? Of course, we want the number of kids in care to go down safely, right? What else, what else do you want to for this gap? So we we also have a shortage of foster homes, right? I know sometimes we, um, in our really bad days, we had kids um, in group homes. Of course, we even had kids in hotel rooms sometimes. Um, not great, right? What 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 would you like to see happen with all of these shortages? Yeah. So we'll, we'll, what we as a state are working on, and we know from other states that, you know, that most family-like setting is the best temporary placement. And if at all possible, if it, that, that's relatives or someone that the child and family knows that they can be placed with someone who they have already have a connection with and or it's family that they maybe not have not met, but are still kin uh, to mm-hmm. them. So really thinking about those those family settings, um, you know, that uh, you, I mean, you talked about um, the non our non relative foster homes having a shortage. I mean, really, what we what we'd like to see, we 
what we know is best for reunifying families is that when families, when parents or caregivers are close to their kids, when if the child can't remain safely in the home, if they're in close proximity, that they can have regular and frequent visits, that the child doesn't have to be displaced from their school. You know, we talked mm-hmm. about that school transition on top of everything else is so hard. And then those causes those academic um, delay that you're you're not keeping up with where you would be and your, um, you know, your credits are falling behind. And then it starts this whole um, just really being discouraged with the larger uh, progression of, you know, can I do this if I keep having to move? So um, that those availability of um, family settings, relatives Mm -hmm. and kin, so that family members and parents and kids can still all have time together and be more, have that encouragement and that hope and those relations, hopefully the time out of a parent or caregiver's home is really lessened because Mm -hmm. we, we had that, that time together and that, that encouragement that was happening. Yeah. Yeah. And that stability is so important for those, those educational outcomes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The more stability we can provide, the better, certainly. So what community strategies um, do you think communities can think about to, to wrap around these families or put into place to, to be that stability? What, what should communities be thinking about? Obviously, if you don't have a CASA, go find out if you're one of the three. Right. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I... So I, there's, um, I think in every community, there's a group of uh, advocates and and staff and parents and uh, mentors who are working, who know about the issues in their community. And so thinking whether it's the uh, family connection, the local family connection group, mm-hmm. um, I work with the Georgia Essentials for Childhood, and that's the Prevent um Prevent Child Abuse Network has uh, regional groups all around the state who are tackling this and saying like, how can we bring more people from the community to provide supports for families before they have to come in, before they have to um, receive, start receiving Mm -hmm. services from the state? Because we know that's not, that's, you know, when you're um, having to get services and then if you don't, if you're not progressing as you like, and you have that fear of your kids being removed, that's not where you want to go to say, I need some help. You want to go to a community group or a church or your school that can really um, be a place where you can feel like you're supported and um, poor, that, that, that there are people who are compassionate and care about you and um, it's not that punitive that threat, that punitive threat, or mm-hmm. that monitoring of your um, parenting or your family mm-hmm. that's going to uh, put you maybe at risk of of removal. At, at, mm-hmm. You know, if, if it were to ever come to that. Yeah, gotcha. So figure out what those local agencies are. Maybe talk to your pastor. Uh, see what your church can possibly. Uh, do to support kids and families in care because a lot of what we see is uh, is neglect it's it's not always abuse a lot of times it is neglect it's substance abuse those kinds of issues that are really impacting families correct most of the time right mm-hmm. I, those like those really severe uh, child abuse cases are really probably less than 15 percent of the kids and families that we're working with so the vast majority are neglect 
uh, parental supervision, lack of adequate housing, um, uh, you know, basic food, uh, Tr- uh, mm-hmm. medical care and then like you said that substance use right that that in it causes that inability to parent or be present mm-hmm. and um and care for for kids mm-hmm. so i think yeah if i mean we can also talk about safe and affordable housing mm-hmm. <laughs> quality child care you know access to economic wage <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> yeah so all, i mean all of those things but I'll t- so i think so much of what our casa volunteers if they haven't um but experience that prior to this, they see how challenging it is. If I'm a family in poverty and I'm trying to get out of that and I'm trying to support my kids and I don't have access to quality health care and I don't have a job that pays me enough to, you know, to do all these things, but our volunteers see that. And I think that's the, one of the beauties of CASA as well, that they, sh- they now empathize and can share that with community leaders and our legislators and all of that to talk about kind of what our communities need to to have strong families. Mm-hmm. So at at the state level that you I think you mentioned prevent child abuse are there are there other ways that Georgia Casa helps advocate for kids and families at the state level? Yeah, so, um, you know, our approach to doing this work, Georgia CASA was, uh, has been very, very intentional that, um, that we know that, that uh, it's that in local communities, our advocates and our, the, the leadership of the CASA programs, our board members, that they're experts about what's happening in their community. And that at the state level, that we partner with state agencies and other policy groups, um, other professional associations who are all working in this work. So we um, are very collaborative. Uh, We provide information that that we have and know from having that statewide uh, footprint um, we, uh, I don't know if you remember this, Anne, but uh, stay in close contact with all of our advocates, our, our paid staff across the state so that we're sharing, we share information out very quickly, but we also get it back so we can mm-hmm. talk with our state partners. That was so helpful during COVID um, when things were starting to shut down and we said, okay, what it, there's an immediate need for a child. Mm-hmm. What do we do? And, you know, we were on the phone with our state partners. Um, we were working with you know, our other policy groups putting together those resource lists and just really disseminating, disseminating the information out as quickly as we, mm-hmm. as we could. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So I had the, I had a thought about one more thought about, um, CASA. So let's, let's say that, um, maybe someone is not at the point in their lives that they're will, that they, they have that time or they're being called to be, a costs of volunteer are there other ways they can get involved in the agencies we talked about getting involved in the community level but are there other ways they can support uh the nonprofit? sure well first of all they can tell everybody that they know who they think will be a good cost of volunteer because that's how so many volunteers come to us is that somebody says to them say hey i heard about i heard about this volunteer opportunity and i think you would be great at this and that that sometimes it's that one comment that somebody makes to someone that that um, helps them uh, pick up the phone and or reach out to the local office or uh, find us on you know, social media, and then they can uh, connect with us. But we also have, um, we have uh, 
our we have 500 board members across the state. So each of our local CASA affiliates are the majority of them are nonprofit organizations. So they have boards of directors, they have committees that um, that really are a way for people to be learn about the organization and be a part of it. Uh, some of our groups have auxiliary groups or uh, affinity groups that are coming together to learn about uh, what the issues are in their community and how they can support it. So whether it's a lecture series or um, a, a, there's a, they'll have a few educational meetings throughout the year. Uh, right now, so many of our CASA programs are working with their, the, their community gift drives, making sure that families and caregivers and our grandparents and all of our relatives who are caring for other kids that will have uh, holiday gifts and what they need right now. Um, and then, you know, we have hundreds and hundreds of supporters who mm -hmm. donate and support this work and encourage it, encourage our champions for what we're doing. They've been a volunteer before. Uh, some of our volunteers go on to be foster parents. Some of our foster parents who turn into, some foster parents who turn to adoptive parents then become CASA volunteers. So we really consider it a really big family. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so you can enter mm -hmm. uh, wherever that may be. Right, exactly. So lots of ways to get involved. And when all else fails, click the donate now button. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> all right. So is there anything else you want to chat about? Anything else uh, you can think of that you want to tell our listeners about as you're kind of looking at 2022? I can't even believe oh, it. I know. I know. Is that great? Well, I hope um, if you haven't heard our our um, recruitment ads or seen our uh, advertising at the airport of just encouraging people to volunteer. We hope we hope when you see that CASA name, this uh, if you're hearing this for the first time and didn't know us, that that um, helps just remind you that uh, that the more people who know about us, the more likely we're able to serve all of those to, to have advocate volunteer advocates for all those kids in care. So we have about 2,700 volunteers right now. We really 4,000 volunteers is um, where we're, we're hoping to get to, and we think um, with that uh, could really have uh, even more. Um, make sure that even more kids have that volunteer advocacy. I mean, I'll, I'll also say that we have so much support from our state and federal partners in this work. I know you had asked about our advocacy that we're doing. Um, we have a tremendous amount of support from the General Assembly, so our elected officials, but we also have funding partners, um, the state, uh, Criminal Justice Coordinating Council that have been alongside us uh, throughout these these um, last three decades doing this work. So there's uh, there's so much good work that's happening out there and support that that's um, that's that that uh, that helps us do this. And we just I couldn't we're so grateful for that. So I love the energy that you bring to this work and the audience can't see, but you've had a big smile on your face the whole time. <laughs> so that's awesome. So I'm going to ask you the question. I ask everybody, yeah. um, when you look to the future, what community possibilities do you see? Oh, I love this. So community possibilities. Um, you know, I, we're, we're being really purpose, purposeful about, um, how we talk about 
the families that we're working with, mm. that we want, we want for uh, services and supports to be less punitive. We want to um, really be a partner um, uh, in the healing process for families. And so um, those less punitive uh, interventions are more responsive to individual needs. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's why CASA has been such a um, great uh, way to bring value to the system is because we have those individual relationships and we hope that all families feel like they have, they are seen um, for their individuality and their strengths that they're, they're, they're coming to this work. Um, you know, we're addressing disparate outcomes for black and brown families, whether it's uh, staying in care longer, more placement moves, um, that our volunteers are just as reflective of our kids and that we're serving, um, just being inclusive, wanting everyone to know that this is a, uh, our advocacy is as good, is only as good as the people who are joining mm -hmm. us to do this work. Um, and I, you know, I just really, um, uh, really think are hoping for that that community understanding and appreciation that when a family is in crisis that um a, a little bit of hope mm -hmm. <laughs> a little bit of help um what that does that, that it doesn't mm -hmm. help us at all to villainize uh families that um at work at a lo really low point um in their lives mm -hmm. and um at this point need uh, you know, are, are seeking help and mm. we're working with them. And, and that's what our kids deserve to be with their families. And mm -hmm. so we really want to, um, I'm, I'm really hopeful that we're, we're starting to, to shift in that direction. I love that. So Jen, how can people get in touch with you or find out more about CASA? Yeah, well, uh, if you're on Facebook, uh, Georgia Casa uh, has a Facebook page. Um, you can go on there and, and check us out. You can ask us questions. We'll communicate with you. We have our website is GACASA, C-A-S-A dot org. Um, you can call us. Uh, we, um, actually physically in the office, Anne, how about that? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, you can call us at 404-874-2888 or um, uh, wherever you are, right? There's there's likely a local CASA program in your area. If um, you look up your county, you can come to our website and find that county. Or if you um, know where to find them, that's that's a great place too. Right. So yeah. And, it, and if you happen to be in another state, check out your CASAs. That's right. Yeah. That's right. We, um, yeah, we, we, there's lots of CASA uh, coverage all across this, the country. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jen, for joining me today. Oh, thank you, Ian. It was so great to have some time to spend with you. All right. Thank you. Uh -huh. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining me on today's episode of Community Possibilities. I hope you found it helpful. And if you did, would you do me a favor by liking, sharing, and maybe even writing a review about the podcast? That would help so much. I'd like to invite you to head on over to our website. You can sign up for my weekly emails, check out some free resources we have, and stay in touch with me. Have a good day.